Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. All right. Check, check. You guys hear me? Well, good morning and welcome every one of you who've joined with us this morning to uh, worship and praise uh, a good, good father. Um, as always, go ahead and uh, take the time now to tag or share this um um, live feed with your friends, families, coworkers, neighbors, anybody you might know that you would love to uh, have an opportunity to share the gospel to. Uh, hopefully, we can faithfully do that um, this morning. So, if you want to do that now or send greetings to one another that you would normally be doing if we were meeting on Sunday morning, you can do that now. Send a, an appropriate text or a picture of oneself to cheer each other up or encourage one another, spur each other on in the faith. Um, before I say anything else, uh, I just kind of want to piggyback on, you know, what Brandy's already said and, uh, just mention the fact that, you know, today is a very special day, uh, where we are celebrating the moms in our lives. And, um, you know, I say this every year because I mean it, I just, uh, I, I just don't know of a good way we could ever repay our mothers for the things that they've I was watching a little video this morning uh, on a guy using it as a gospel illustration and just the fact that our mothers uh, have cleaned up puke and poop as children and done things sacrificially for us that nobody else would ever do for us and just how amazing uh, they are and, and what they've been able to accomplish in and for us in our lives. And it's just it's something worthy of celebrating and, and we should do so. Uh, but I also want to mention, um, just to be very sensitive, uh, the individuals who've lost their mothers um, and just know that we're praying for you guys. I couldn't imagine not having my mom. I know that day will come. Um, but So we're just, we're lifting you up. We love you. We thank you um, for, for being strong on this day. Um, and the mothers who have yet to be able to become mothers, those who desperately desire to bear children and, and maybe not been able to uh, as of yet. Uh, we're praying for you as well. Uh, we love you and we appreciate you. Um, so just know that God loves a good mother. We love a good mother. We're celebrating all of you today. Uh, I wish you were here so we could hug you and give you the affection and the attention that you deserve, but uh, circumstances, unfortunately, are keeping us from that on this day, uh, prayerfully never again on another day. Um, also, just as you guys may have been keeping up with everything, there is a little bit of light at the tunnel as far as uh, when we're going to reopen and gather again in the near future. Uh, your leadership is currently working on all of the plans for that, and we're being careful and wise, and we're just really... Um, we're keeping everyone in mind. You know, you got two camps. One says, you know, burn, burn, the, you know, burn the hill, just 
just do it anyways. And then you got the other ones that say, well, we need to be careful and considerate of, you know, getting infected and, and possibly spreading the disease. And, and unfortunately, we have to consider all of those things. But what we're committed to most, um, regardless of who, that, who this offends, we're committed to being faithful, wise stewards of what God's given us. And we're trusting that God will um, show us what we need to do in the very near future. Uh, and with that being said, uh, our plan is to get back together as soon as we can, just so you know that. Like, we're working um, extra hard. I know some churches uh, were able to, there was a, a recent update to uh, the reopening, and some churches are, are even gathering this weekend, and, and uh, we pray for them and encourage them. We love them. We think that's awesome. Uh, too quick for us um, to, to come up with a really solid plan to make sure that we're all safe. So um, we are committed this week to working hard on that and, and this happening very soon. Um, just so you guys can uh, continue to worship by giving, remember you can text to give to 73256 and you just put Matthew's table uh, all together, no spaces, no, no apostrophes, no nothing. Um, and some of you have even noticed, uh, who are faithfully giving, um, that they've changed, I don't know how you say it, the interface or the user face of it, uh, so that when it, when it comes up as you're texting it, it's, uh, it defaults to building fund as opposed to tithe. So you have to drop that down and select tithe instead of building fund. We're calling the company and we're trying to get them to fix that just so it's not an inconvenience to you. However, at this point, um, just know that so that when you go to text to give, it'll pull up by default to building fund and you can change that to tithe or offering, whichever uh, you feel op or, um, compelled to do. Um, all right. So anyways, uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and be with us and guide us and give me the words, uh, whether it's on this paper or, or not, um, for each of us to, to see what the Word has to say today, what God is speaking to and through um, His Word for us. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we just, we love you. We thank you. Um, what an amazing, beautiful um, message that we get to share week after week of a God who loves us in spite of who we were or what we've done and that desires to use us, no matter who we were or what we had done, um, to point other people to him. Uh, we love you. We thank you. We are entrusted with the gospel, and we are committed to sharing that as faithfully as we can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, many of you may have noticed that I had uh, posted that we would be making uh well, the biggest announcement uh, at you know as to date uh, for the church, uh, but we're we're going to wait till the end. And the reason is is there's going to be a lot of questions, and uh, I'm afraid that some of you may not pay attention to what the Lord has to say today as we're uh, wrapping up this series on spring cleaning. So we're going to do it at the end, but it also ties into this sermon. Um, and uh, most fitting for a closing announcement as it is an opening announcement. So with that being said, uh, those of you who've been following along with us the last few weeks, uh, this morning we're wrapping up our series on the spring cleaning um, sermon 
uh, today where we've been intentionally cleaning out and removing the junk that clutters up in our hearts and minds. First week we look at we looked at and dealt with pride and how all of us struggle with pride and how there's no room for pride in a Christian's life. And then uh, the next the next week we dealt with. Uh, religion and how religion just creeps into our heart by nature that we are all taught from a young age to work towards earning favor or privilege and uh, we've got to fight against that because we have a father who loves us so much that cre- uh, that sent his son so we could have an intimate personal relationship that he loves us not based on what we do but what he's done and those sermons are on, uh, on our website, and they're on our Facebook page, and you can go back and watch those and kind of catch up to everything we've done up to this point. And, of course, last week, uh, just with the three-year celebration, uh, it was very fitting um, to uh, figuratively make room as we're cleaning out our closets, spring cleaning for a genuine biblical faith, which is how Matthew's table got here, is just truly uh, trusting and relying on God to provide versus uh, the American business model that has all their ducks in a row and doesn't move until they know exactly what to do, uh, which is another good way that the church can operate today because we're to be um, wise with everything we do. But which leads us to um, that genuine biblical faith, leads us to uh, a place without borders. You guys have probably heard the song Oceans, and that's what I think about uh, when I think about a genuine radic- or biblical faith. Um, and this week, uh, it's important um, because I want to deal with a sin in the church that doesn't belong, but uh, is very very active. It almost um, gets overlooked. It's really an elephant in the room. It's a huge problem that goes uh, unaddressed, but never unnoticed. And every one of you is going to be very familiar with this. And it causes many people to have a bad taste in their mouth, and one that I'm very passionate about not being a problem at Matthew's table. And, and before I go forward, I want you guys to know that, you know, when you go cleaning stuff out, and, and, and it's, it's, it's hard work, and, and that's what we've been doing these last few weeks. So I promise that next week we're starting a new sermon series on God's promises, and it's not going to be as tough to digest all these things that we're dealing with. So don't, don't lose hope in, in us moving forward and being encouraging and, and uplifting. Um, we'll, we'll be doing that next week. But just to close this out, we're going to deal with an elephant in the room, a hidden agenda within the church. And it's something that I'm passionate about not being a problem at Matthew's table. I've actually always wanted to preach on this specific sin because of the damage that it does and just how blind to it so many devout followers have become. And, And I assume that because I've seen it and uh, my biggest fear is I've played a part in it, uh, but it go, it, it's not unnoticed. It's as real as it gets. It's the sin of favoritism. 
the sin of partiality. So when the Bible says partiality, it, the same word is, is favoritism. And I'll be using favoritism more just because it's probably a little more used in our current language. But it's given the benefit of the doubt to some of you. Uh, I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt because I understand each one of us naturally has the tendency to have favorites, right? Like, uh, um, you know, your cell phones give you uh, a tab called favorites, and only a few of you are on mine. So I, uh, immediately it makes me guilty, right? Like I have a few favorites. Um, it's just naturally what we do. We, we gravitate towards where we feel safe and comfortable, and typically with though, especially with those uh, that we relate to. So it's something that typically we're, we relate to. It's relatable, and we're drawn to that. But that's favoritism, right? And usually, it, it's it's a, a result of sharing common bonds through like-mindedness on politics, uh, world perspectives. Uh, oftentimes what our identity is, how we identify ourselves, we gravitate towards others uh, like ourselves, uh, and a lot of times it's uh, due to our social status and even our economical circumstance and even more unfortunate, what color we are. And although each of us do this, James makes a point to deal with it during his time because it was a problem in, a, in the church then and sadly still is today. The difference is it's never talked about today. You don't ever hear about this. So let's see what God has to say about it so that we can be sure to rid our own hearts of it. Because as embarrassing as it is, the church has allowed it to go on far too long and lots of people have suffered the consequences from this particular sin. So if you guys want to, you can follow along up here with me. We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Or I'm going to read them to you or you can open your Bibles and pull these out, or pull this out, and, and read along with me. James says, the brother of Jesus, right? Speaking to the church, by the way. James says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man, he gives this example that every one of us have experienced. For if a man... Wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you the ones who drag you into court? 
Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality or favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. James makes it a pretty big deal. You know what I mean? Like he that's 13 verses. He he's got five chapters in his in his letter to the church for all believers thousands of years later and he takes half a chapter, 13 verses and deals with this. So this is pretty important, right? And I'd like to think that many of you may not have known this is considered a sin, but I find that hard to believe because every one of us has been the victim of favoritism, starting as early as high school, which is the melting pot of partiality, where each child feels the pressure and obligation to fit in with whatever group includes them or accepts them. Always motivated by what family or neighborhood you come from, or maybe what you wear. And it's often responsible for bullying, and even worse, suicide. Simply because how different someone is from them. Confession. Didn't only experience it myself in high school, but I played a part in it. And it haunts me today when I bump into someone from my high school days in Walmart or Lowe's, and I know what they're thinking because it's what I would be thinking. And it was a horrible thing to behave that way, peer pressure, based on how different you are from someone else. It's so common that you would have to come from a deserted island never experiencing social interaction to not have experienced people getting special treatment. It's the way the world operates, providing favor and privilege, benefits to certain people over others. We've all done it, right? I have. Hey, because of what I'm doing in the community, won't you get my child a job, right? I know you, so I deserve privilege. Or because we know, I've been a part of ministries where, you know, whoever's on the board, that's all I'm going to say. Favoritism is working itself in the church today. But one of the most demonic ways favoritism manifests itself is through racism. You guys, I know you guys have seen the video from this past week. By the way, I want to point you guys to um, 
Trust the Process podcast to hear from, from uh, some of my best friends and, and brothers just kind of speak on this and their feelings towards it. I felt like they did an excellent, humble job. Uh, just, man, like how heartbreaking is it? Could you be, could you imagine mothers on Mother's Day? Could you imagine getting that call about your child being chased down and gunned down in the middle of a street? Racism. Let's call it what it is. It's demonic. Favoritism is an awful, evil thing that no one wants done to themselves. But unfortunately, the most disturbing reality is we've all done it ourselves despite knowing the pain, the exclusion, and the rejection that comes from it. Being left out, overlooked, Favoritism is a sin and one of Satan's many tools to divide and conquer God's message. By the very nature of favoritism, withholding the grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And from what we see this morning, it's not something new, so we shouldn't be surprised by it. Just accept it, right? That's how, we, that's how we deal with it. We just accept it. We, we, we met with a pastor yesterday who come from Burma, and uh, he's telling me and Nick this story. And he said, you live in Burma. Whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like he, he's talking to us, and he said, man, if you, basically he said, if you live in Burma and you got money, you murder someone, they let you go. Like That's just how it works, Right? This isn't just an, an American cultural problem. This is a human sin problem. It's an age-old problem that we have to unwillingly accept in the world. It's the way things work, right? Roger, surely you understand. It's just how things work. But the problem is, is that James is addressing the church this morning. And although I hope and pray that one, ta- one, at one day favoritism and special treatment towards the privileged and even more importantly, racism would come to an end, I'm afraid it won't on this side of heaven. And I hate that with everything within me. That doesn't mean that we the church won't fight for an end to it through prayer and leading by example, but until God changes the heart of someone, their heart remains evil and under the influence of the prince of this world. That's what the Bible says. Which is every reason as to why none of the things mentioned should be present in the church because the Bible says God shows no favoritism. Romans 2.11. God shows no favoritism, so we can't show any favoritism. But we do, don't we? It, it's obviously taken place. It was obviously taken place uh, in the in the early church. Uh, keep in mind, not even a hundred years after the death of Jesus Christ Himself, and still present in the church today. But you don't hear much about it in the church because the church don't want you to. That's why. Why? Because it's sin. And no one wants to be guilty of sin. All you got to do is look around. You'll see it. 
We got white churches, we got black churches, we got Latino churches, we got Burmese churches, we got the rich churches, we got the poor churches, and none of them seem to be concerning themselves with God's will with this sin, but rather their own hidden agenda. You ever wonder how truthful I'm committed to being to the scriptures? I hope today answers that question. Favoritism equals worldliness. That's based on an agenda that builds up one's own kingdom. And if we're to treat others with favoritism based on who they are or what they bring to the table, are we not teaching people to continue to rely on themselves, what they have and what they can do and not God? And are we not any different than than the world? The church should be a refuge, a safe place, a sanctuary where the believer can experience God's tangible love through the one another's, through encouraging one another, loving one another, just a real nice, gentle, soft hug sometimes. It's so helpful. And someone else, maybe from the world, finds authentic love and acceptance for the first time in their lives among a a group, a body of believers, not based on who they are or what they have. Someone who doesn't know Christ should come here and leave here noticing a difference that causes them to consider something they're missing out on. Hey, that's part of my testimony. I met a man who had no reason to invest into me and love me. I saw God's tangible love through him to me, and it convinced me I was missing out on something because I couldn't make sense of it. There was no favoritism. He had no reason to spend time with me, and he loved me anyways. But let's get real for a moment. I'd be willing to bet you've never heard a sermon on favoritism. Isn't that interesting? I haven't. I had to to YouTube and Google it. And the only thing I could find is these small clips, of some of my favorite well-respected pastors that are mainstream. There was some two-minute clips on on chapter 2 that that just kind of spoke about it briefly. And it's interesting because that doesn't make sense to me when James takes the time to do what he's done in chapter 2. And what else is interesting is I can, I can Google or YouTube adultery, addiction, homosexuality, and I can find sermons on those all day long. And, and, and as the church, we're good about making sure everybody understands that those are wrong, but nobody talks about favoritism or partiality. It's actually favoritism to talk about some sin, but not other sin. You're actually being partial to favoritism. This is what Paul said. Paul's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's telling the church in Corinth, he's like, look, man, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you do these things. Favoritism ain't in there. But he he does say in Romans chapter 2 that God shows no favoritism. But it's just my point. Like, it's it's just, it's more natural to talk about the things that's more evident and obvious. 
But I've always said that the things hidden in the dark are the most hurtful things. And favoritism is one that has no check on it. It's not uncommon to worship at a place where families and best friends hold leadership positions in the church. It's not uncommon to worship at a place where those those people with six figures have the majority of deacon and elder authority roles. It's not uncommon. It's just unbiblical. It also shouldn't be a secret. I'm not on a soapbox. I'm standing side by side, and I'm confessing that today in, in, in every way that I can. It shouldn't be a secret that the same temptation doesn't attempt to penetrate itself in every church leader's heart and mind under good intentions. I'm not saying people who, who fall into just what's taking place is doing it with evil intentions. I'm saying typically it's good intentions. Like we all want to see the gospel be advanced, right? And sometimes money helps that. Just be real about it. Matter of fact, the church over the last 2,000 years has set itself up on favoritism based on denomination or doctrinal likeness, more concerned about their system of beliefs, which typically is a majority of the time non-salvific issues or non-salvation issues, right? Well, we want to do our order of service this way. Well, we don't agree with that, so we're going over there and doing our own thing. It has nothing to do about what God's called them to do, right? We believe baptizing babies. We believe speaking in tongues. Well, we don't, so we can't fellowship with you guys anymore. Partiality creates division. That's what it does. And being more concerned about agreeing with others like yourself is disagreeing with God. We see it, we live it, we experience it. And what's worse, or maybe even equally as evil, is it's not as much that we treat people with favoritism as it is people expecting special attention and favor in the church. And that's why James calls it out using the example of a rich man and a poor man because it's most typically seen, special treatment or favoritism, when someone, and it doesn't have to be a rich man. It could be a famous man. It could be somebody just well-known in the community, somebody that has a p- political position. All of a sudden, they get, they get lifted up and exalted, and all the attention goes to them. Instead of Christ, Jesus, the one place the church is supposed to be pointing people to. Right? It's so noticeable, but before we get to hooting and hollering, pointing fingers, we need to realize where we are guilty of this because we all do it. Even in the slightest way, there's no place for it in the church. This makes me uncomfortable to even speak about, but it's true. And I hope I've painted a very clear picture of just how overlooked and wicked the sin of favoritism 
is, and my goal this morning is not to make us feel bad about it, but to allow the Word to convict us and cause you to question your motives when treating anyone in the church a certain way, realizing how counterproductive it is to the gospel message. It stands in direct opposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way I intend to do that is to simply walk you through the four whys from our passage this morning as to why we should not show partiality. And I ain't going to waste no time with it. I'm going to go straight. One, partiality contradicts faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's what it says. So to show partiality in any way contradicts God having a sovereign plan to use all believers for his good, right? The church can't pick its own kickball team, but they do. Nick was telling me the other day about how he never got picked to play on the kickball team, and he still struggles with that today, so be praying for Nick, but... But y'all know what I mean, right? Like, it, 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 this starts at such an early age. We want to pick the good guy, man, because we want to win, because winning makes us look good. James says to pay attention. Like James says in, in chapter 2, to someone based on who they are or what they have is a credit to man's glory and not God's. It communicates to everyone else watching the church of Christ that some ways the world operates is even okay in the church. And the church today has made it a common practice to look for the most talented, educated person rather than the anointed. Thank God for the Bible because it clearly tells a different story. First Samuel chapter 16, y'all can go and read that today, but the prophet Samuel was commanded by God to go and anoint a king for Jerusalem. And he said, I want, I want you to find the man that, that, that has a, um, the man that has uh, after God's own heart. And Samuel's led to the house of Jesse, the house of uh, sheep tenders. And Jesse has seven sons of all good appearance and stature. Like it specifically talks about how any of those older sons would have been the obvious choice. But God chooses the youngest one. Verse 7, Samuel surveying all the choices, all six of the brothers, oldest brothers, God says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks at the appearance, but God looks to the heart and for the purpose of himself being glorified. The entire Bible is, is accounts of underdogs that God chooses so that he can be glorified. 
Number two, partiality reveals a judging heart with evil thinking. I didn't say that. James did. Right? He says, if you do that, are you not judging the man with evil thoughts? So it immediately makes you an evil judge. And for me, it's like James is taking the gloves off on this one. He's pulling no punches. To show favoritism makes you an evil-thinking judge, which honestly puts this into perspective. And when we make a distinction, a judgment based on one's appearance or financial status or whatever it may be, an attempt to two-step our way into their good grace so that we can be noticed by them, it's evil, is what James says. Because it reveals the person's agenda or their selfish motives. So any good treatment based on anything other than a pure motive to be an agent of the gospel and and to share God's love is mistreating the one that you're overlooking. So we can talk about how we're treating someone and it be wrong, but I also want you to see by that treatment you are mistreating someone else. And making a distinction as one of God's ambassadors defeats the testimony of the gospel because it miscommunicates the unconditional love that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Right? There's that credit I was talking about. Even sinners love those who love them. Are you doing any better than someone separated from God when you're loving someone for your benefit? No, according to Jesus. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good and lend, expect Nothing in return. That's a true, unconditional love from the Father. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be the children of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Something James makes very clear. Mercy triumphs judgment. Number three, Partiality dishonors people created in the image of God. Dishonors people created in the image of God. James says, but you have dishonored the poor man. And although that offense makes sense to us, like we see that, we know what, what he's saying, but it's, it's even more important that when you consider that all men, women, and children are created in the image of God. God said in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, sharing some characteristics with us. Love, grace, mercy, peace, joy, right? Like those things God shares with us that allows us to be vessels of God's tangible love. We are the vehicle that advances the message of God's love by way of sharing the gospel with everyone. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He calls the people at the, the church of Corinth, 
calls them the letters of recommendation. That you guys, literally, the works of God evidenced in your life will speak like a letter of recommendation to those on the outside looking in. And so the idea that we, the church, would treat any person differently based on their color, nationality, or ethnicity, or even their social status is cosmic or heavenly vandalism. You're defacing the value that God has put on those who he's created in his image. Heavenly vandalism. Every human being is created by God and equal in value to God. And if we don't demonstrate that within our own congregations, why would anyone want to be a part of God's kingdom? The church should be diverse because heaven will be. And how would anyone desire a heavenly home when hell treats them better? By the way, Jesus wasn't a white man. He was a man of color who loved everyone despite what they had done or who they were. And the Father's heart demonstrated that in the Great Commission. It's the mission that Jesus left behind for the disciples. And he tells them, go make disciples of every tongue, tribe, and nation. When we get to heaven, we're going to see a diverse situation, all people of different colors and different languages, and we're going to understand what they're saying, and they're going to love us, and we're going to love them in spite of who they were or where they came from. Is that not something to look forward to? And why wait until we get there? Why wouldn't we do that within our own church? Number four, partiality is not mercy, but judgment, which is anti-gospel. I mean, it is single-handedly designed to destroy the message of the gospel, right? Favoritism is conditional love with strings attached, which is the absolute opposite of the gospel, It's direct violation against the greatest commandment, what James calls the royal law. To love your neighbor as yourself through mercy, not judgment. So the moment that you make a distinction, and we all do it, I'm guilty, you've made a judgment. You've bypassed mercy for the sake of judgment for personal gain. That's what we're doing when we do that. And I'm not saying that we're intentionally doing it. I'm just trying to bring it to surface so we recognize it. To love your neighbor as yourself through mercy, not judgment. You don't have the choice to choose who you love. And so you might say, you, you might ask the question, Roger, who is my neighbor? And, and I, I'm not being facetious or sar- sarcastic because that's exactly what the expert of the law asked in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. You can go back and look. It literally says that the, the man stood up and asked the question, how does one inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what, what else? He says, well, love your neighbor as yourself. And the expert of the law asks the question, who is my neighbor? 
I love what Tim Keller said. Not everyone is your sister or brother in the faith, but everyone is your neighbor. Let's clarify. So just to be sure, uh, I, I, I spent some serious time in study and research on this. And I want to clarify by doing some really good exegesis. That's just a fancy theological word for understanding the interpretation of the true text, right? And breaking down both the Greek, Latin, and Hebrew translation of the original text on the word neighbor. And just in case we're unsure of what and who Jesus is referring to when he says neighbor, I'm hoping that what I share next is the tornado siren. Y'all know those sirens that's within our community now? You start, you're like, what the heck? And then there's this voice that comes. That's actually God speaking to everybody. He's like, man, you better look out, man. It's coming. You know what I mean? So when I say this, I want you guys, that's what I hope is happening in your hearts and in your minds. Wait for it. Neighbor means the person next to you. That's what neighbor means. And no definition that I could find refers to there being any conditions. So if you were to come to church and there's a person next to you, that's God's notification. You know your notifications on your phone? Oh, I got a text, right? When you come to church and you're in the same proximity of someone else, it doesn't matter who they are or where they come from or if you ever knew them or if they're dressed like you, smell like you, or look like you. That's your neighbor and that's who you're supposed to love. Plain and simple. That's the royal law. It's God's notification to you of who you're to show love to. You don't, I've done this, you don't purposely pass by 10 people to greet or hug someone else that you know will return that same love. Why? Because God doesn't orchestrate or do anything by accident, and those people you are passing by could be the one person that desperately needs a hello, glad you are here, after coming in, being beat up and spit out by the world, ran by the devil that's been overlooked by those people and treated that way all week long. Right? Uh, music team can start easing this way. There's a, uh, and somebody can remind me, but there's an old Casting Crown song, and it has the video, and it has the person walking on the outside of the church. Do you all remember what that song was? I can't remember. Anyways, they're, they're, and they're looking at the church, and it's because, man, they're looking at the church as, you know, I have hope that there may be a difference within there, but because of the way I see myself and feel about myself, I'm unwilling to go in there. And it's sad because you see all these happy people, uh, these unrealistic church people, come walking out, and it's the Beaver Cleaver families, and they're jumping in their car and driving off, and the person's just standing there broken, right, like hoping that they would have come over and invited them in. And that's who we need to be. That's who we want to be at Matthew's table. And I will, and I'm going to show some favoritism because I'm guilty of this sin. I will say in my heart of hearts, I believe that's one thing that we're really good at at Matthew's table. That's one thing that I hear often from people who've been to Matthew's table. They make the comment, you know what? All I know is that when I come to Matthew's table, I feel like I'm at home. I feel like people really genuinely care about me and they love me, right? And what we know is that James says, uh, James says mer mercy triumphs judgment, but mercy actually trumps judgment. 
Because there's only one man who has the right to and the will to judge the world, and his name is Jesus Christ, who, by the way, also died for everyone. Remember, for God so loved the world, paying the price for who we've been and what we've done. It's a debt that we can't repay. And once we've received that free gift from God, not by something we've done or earned, we become then responsible to do the same for others. Extend grace to those not like you and love them unconditionally and sacrificially like Christ did for us. Romans 5, 8 paints a very clear picture, but God demonstrated his love for us like this. God demonstrated his love for us like, Roger, I've only been a Christian for a week or two. I'm not real sure how I should do that or what I should. Yeah, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies to the cross, Christ died for us anyways. God shows no favoritism, just faithfulness to his plan and purpose. Right? You might argue, well, it seems like God shows favoritism towards God's people. No, he shows faithfulness to his plan and his purpose. And most of you know that we just recently celebrated three years. And as we have reminisced about that, standing here today at the Monday Center and considered uh, all of the wonderful memories, just things that will always be in my mind, just images, visually seeing just such amazing things that's taken place. Things that will um, forever be in our hearts and our minds. Um, this Sunday, as I look around, it's the last time that we'll ever meet at the Monday Center. And it's something to be very excited about because God has been faithful to his plan and his promise. And I want you to hear me today. It's so crazy to think that God called out a few people who had no idea what they were doing. We had, we had no education. We had, we had no money. You, you don't even hear about this, right? Like when something like this happens, the only explanation can be that God must be in this because we, we had nothing. We didn't have a music team. We'd been to church for years. We saw how everybody was doing it. We left there because God told us to, to go somewhere else in a building we'd never been to, to walk in and say, hey, we're going to start doing church here. How you do that? We don't know. Well, what happens? One of the first questions was, well, what happens, Roger, if more people start coming? I said, I don't know. Well, what happens if you get too big for this place? I don't know. We didn't know. We took it as it come. It bothered a lot of people, rightfully so. But I remember God showing me that there was a three-year plan. Now, listen, my idea of that three-year plan was that I would eventually step away from where I was working to do full-time ministry. That was what I thought the three-year plan was. He did that last September. Walked away from a well-paying job, right? Nick followed shortly after. So that wasn't in three years. So what's in three years? Turns out God provided a way for us 
Because if you guys remember the last few times that we were meeting, people were sitting in the hallways. The doors were propped open. We didn't know what to do. We started meeting the leadership. Hey, we're going to have to start doing two services. Nobody wants to do that, right? We might exclude someone. That's the last thing we want to do. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And somebody reaches out and says, hey, would you guys like to meet with us? Buena Vista Church on 23rd and Allen. Very God, God-loving God people. And then it's like, you know, bless their hearts. <laughs> Can you imagine that meeting? Pastor Tom, who is a, uh, an amazing man, goes back to his leadership, and he's like, hey, I feel like God's wanting us to have Matthew's table come to our very nice facility. Uh, yeah, who are they? Well, they're, you know, here, look at the video. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> are you sure about that? Right? Like, We've never had favoritism from man since we've started. It's been God the whole time providing the way. And now he's providing a way with a new place to call home. It won't be our building, but it'll be where we continue to gather and worship. Right? It'll allow us to do more ministry. We won't just be able to use the building on Wednesday and Sunday, but any day that, they, that schedules don't conflict, that they allow us to use. And they're working hand-in-hand hand with us. They're as excited about it as we are, which is even more exciting. And so the journey that began on May 7th, 2017, and for some reason, I felt like, I'm not saying God told me, but I felt like three years later, a three-year plan, they voted on this. They started the vote when the uh, pandemic started. I mean, the very weekend they went to start voting. So it's been over a month. I've been going crazy. I'm like, what's going to happen, Lord? Are we ever going to find out? And Pastor Tom calls me on May 7th, 2020. He says, you ain't going to believe this. We had a majority vote, an overwhelming response that they, we want you guys here doing what you do down there. So this is not the beginning of our journey. It's not the end of our journey, but now it's the beginning of a newer, bigger journey. And everybody in, from 18th Street to 25th Street, from Frederick all the way over to Triplett, you better look out because Matthew's table is coming and there'll be people knocking on your door asking to pray with you and inviting you to church. And I hope to see every one of you. So God's provided a way. A ministry where we won't be overcrowded anymore and even room to grow. This place seats like up to 400. It's huge. It's three stories. It took 45 minutes to walk through it. It's unbelievable what God could do. And I know a lot of you guys are going to have a ton of questions, so please keep up with our Facebook page as we will announce more with plenty of details about the move as well as our plan to reopen and how, how we, we're going to achieve all that and accomplish all that and what you can start looking forward to. Uh, we hope to later this week do a video through the building and then post it on our page so that you guys can actually see everything that you're fixing to call home. We hope you join us. Uh, man, this has been so awesome. God shows no favoritism, and neither should we. God took a bunch of knuckleheads and said, if you'll trust me and you'll be faithful to the gospel and you'll love others with no favoritism and no partiality, you don't even know what I can do. 
And here we are now, arriving to a place we're going to be able to call home. It's like the promised land, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's been amazing. Uh, I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited. Feel free to text any questions to Nick or Stephen. They'd be glad to answer all those questions. Uh, but, man, get hype. Be hype. Uh, we're going to, we're, we're attacking that area. Um, I could talk about this all day, so I'm not going to. But know that we love you, but God loves you more, and we've got plenty to be looking forward to. So get ready. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.